And welcome to this episode of G220 Radio. <clears throat> Sorry, this is Mike, and I'm alone again this week. Ricky is preparing for the Derby, so he is gone. So yeah, he is gone for the trip. And so I'm here alone, and as you can see, this is episode number 378. We're going to be talking about the intersection of our love of God and of the church. And here the church I'm using broadly to talk about the <clears throat> all Christians with it. And so we're going to look at this piece like we normally do, kind of working through it piece by piece, and just kind of to see what God has to tell for us and, and show us here in his word. I mean, really something that maybe is lacking a lot. I don't know about you. Um, I'm on Twitter. I see what's going on in Twitter. And like, you just, there seems like there's hate and maybe that's somewhat of a, perception and just how language is used we we know that language is used certain words have connotation have certain emotions attached to them you know there's one notion of being like angry and there's like another one of being frustrated. And we have, while there, those are emotions in them, they even come with kind of how we interpret them in that way. And so you have that. I mean, Facebook, you hear about Facebook debates and people getting angry. And, you know, all of a sudden you might see a Christian like drop an F-bomb. And you're like, what's going on here? And I think when we kind to come to this passage, we should really be considering not just who we interact with day to day, and very much that's the context of what John is writing about, but even more so, I think even in our context, the extendedness of social media, that most of our actions happen in social media. In fact, we're streaming right now live on social media, and we're going to post this up and share it on social media. And social media is so much part of our lives. And so hopefully as we work through this text, as we think about these things, we'll understand like what John is saying here is not just applied when we see our fellow church members or we meet other Christians at conferences or on vacation and we go to church, that this should apply to all of our life. This isn't just one aspect here or there that we should be treating ultimately everyone with dignity, but even more the people that call themselves Christian. And so John here is helping us. And this really comes on the tail end of the chapter three. And 
moving towards this idea of love. Now, John has talked about love. He has talked about fellowship. He is intertwining obedience. And there's all these different threads. And we'll see these threads even um, throughout all of this as he weaves through this book. And so John here writing to his church and reading from the ESV. This is what John says. We're just going to cover here, start off the first five verses. And the first is here in verse 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. You should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murder his brother. Why did he murder him? was because he because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. For we know that you have passed out of death because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that murderers has that no murderers has eternal life abiding in him. And when we kind of see here, what we'll start off is that John is talking about here a message we have heard from the beginning. Most likely John here talking about the message in which he probably heard there on the night of Jesus' betrayal, he is meeting with the disciples for the final time. They are going through these teachings. He's given them their last thing. We see this discourse between John 13 and 17, which all happens in a matter of hours. And up until this point, we're talking years in John. 12 chapters covers almost three nearly three years of his life. And then we get this halt in the text and Jesus is talking to his disciples. And here we get this, if you love me, you will obey me. The call to love our brothers here. And so John is probably talking about what we've heard from the beginning is kind of the beginning of the New Covenant era with Jesus into as Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, 37 says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And two, and two verses later in 39, and the second is like it, you should love your neighbor as yourself. So we have this message that even stems, not even Jesus who directly says it to his disciples in John 13, 14, 15, 12, and in 15, 17, but even stretching back to the Pentateuch when you have both of these verses kind of quoted by Jesus on what is the sum of the law. And so Jesus here, the message from the beginning is the message that we should love one another, that we should love the brethren. And he gives us here in verse 12 an example. And the example he gives us is from Genesis 
4. And in Genesis 4, we know this story. You have the fall in Genesis 3. And the first thing we read about after Genesis 3, Adam and Eve has been clothed. They bear two sons, Cain and Abel, and Cain kills his brother. And so John admonishes us to not be like Cain, who murdered the, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. Now, scholars have noted that the text may imply this, but it doesn't say it. In fact, we'll, we'll, we can go look at it now. So in Genesis 4, 1 through 8, the story as it goes says, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the first the first fruits of his flock and of their fat portions. And of the Lord he regarded Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, you will, not be, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must overrule it. Cain spoke to his brother, to Abel his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother, Abel, and killed him. So here's the story. Cain kills Abel. And they give sacrifices. And what we can kind of glean from this passage as we look through it is that they offer sacrifices. Abel offers sheep. Cain offers grain. And we should note that the readers of the Pentateuch would have known that, okay, these are both valid offerings. There are offerings in Leviticus for both dealing with sheep and with grain. And so it's not the offering that's bad. But we know that they have it. Some have noted that, well, Cain, Cain just brings an offering and Abel brings the first fruits, and that may be part of it. But I think also we need to consider what Hebrews 11.4 says. Hebrews 11.4 talks about this story also in the Hall of Faith. And the writer of Hebrews says, By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, and God commended him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. So why did God not accept Cain's sacrifice? Well, Cain didn't believe. Cain didn't have faith. Yes, he offered a sacrifice that is valid, but Cain did not have faith. He did not believe. So when we consider what is happening in 1 John, we should see here that Cain, who's of the evil one, referring 
probably referencing even back to when John talks about sinners being of the devil, that Cain follows this line of those against God, those who lack faith. Even so, to connect it, Cain may be a representation of the false teachers who also left them, who did not show love to the brethren. So Cain is seen as the evil one, and he murdered his brother. He hated his brother. We can kind of see even the connection with Matthew 5 and the Beatitudes. Whoever hates his brother commits murder in his heart. Here we see the outworking of Cain feeling Cain's faithlessness and then jealousy in the raising up to kill his brother. Because his, his own deeds will evil and his brother's righteousness because he offers a sacrifice unworthily. He was unclean. He didn't believe. And so his heart was far from it. He was unclean. So his deeds were evil. And so again, Cain becomes the example in verse 13 to not be surprised that the world hates Christians. I mean, they live in darkness, as John 1 says to us. The, the world loves its darkness. It loves its sin. We see in Romans 1 that God gives over to people their sins. They've rejected God. They've rejected the creator and worship cre creatures. And so John here is telling us, look, don't be surprised that the world don't, doesn't love us. The world hates us. They hated Jesus. They hate us. And that we have known we've passed out of death. That's where the world is. The world is the land of death. We know that we've passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. There's love there. Eternal life or will be a display of love. But John has been really pushing from the beginning this idea of fellowship and love. We saw the idea of fellowship in the beginning, that our fellowship is with the Father and with other Christians, and that, that we are also in the Father, and we're told not to love the world or the things of them because they are against God. So it makes sense. Now, when John is telling his readers, look, the things of this world are against God. So don't be surprised they hate you. And I mean, just think about our context here in 20th century America, as we notice the decline of influence of just Christian morals, that the world is turning against Christians. We see what's happening in Alaska and stopping a pastor from hosting church services. We watched in California as John MacArthur 
fought against the city of Los Angeles to hold services while you could go to other events. We see here, and we shouldn't be surprised, that the world is, doesn't like us. Now we live in this world and Jesus prays that we, that we will be fruitful in this world. But the world hates us. And so how do we know we, how can we see this? Well, we see this knowing that we've passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Our natural bent is to hate others. That's what sin is, being that we are sinful to the core, that everything we do is tainted with sin. It shouldn't surprise us when what comes out of non-believers is hateful speech and venom that they use their mouth to curse other creatures created in the image of God. And when we really dissect that, it's because they're trying to be gods themselves. Or even more so, they're trying to work their way to heaven thinking they can Obtain the justification required to go to heaven. The, the Abrahamic covenant kind of relived out, not realizing we should see ourselves as sinners. But as Christians, we have passed from death into life. We were once dead in our trespasses, but God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive again in Christ. We were dead, now we're alive. And we know we are alive because we love the brothers. We see the command in Matthew chapter 22, 39, and we love our brothers. We see the demonstration of God's love for us. We see how Christ loved others on his time here on earth as our example and our savior we are to love others. And those who do not love abide in death. So those who love, so those who love would be the opposite, kind of what he said just earlier, that they abide in the light. And so when we think about and just think about those who hate, why would they abide in death. Well, they abide in death because they want to tear down. They want to destroy. It's what hate does. Hate destroys relationships. Hate destroys countries. Hate destroys. It creates chaos. Love, on the other hand, builds up. It creates life. It cultivates it grows. So those who love, who don't love, 
are dead and they they want to be dead. They want to be ones of destruction. And so everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderers have have no that no murderers has eternal life abiding in him. All liars will have the lake of fire, all murderers. And we see here now, again, John make Matt or Matthew gives us this connection in the Sermon on the Mount that the root of murder is hatred. And the desire is that my life would be better off that this person over here would be wiped off. It is playing the role of God into taking someone's life. God is the one who gives and who takes away. And so when we kill someone, when we murder someone, it's a sign of our own hatred for God. It's showing a, a despising attitude towards God's creatures, the ones whom he has endowed with special characteristics that sets us off from all other animals and insects. So we see here this emphasis here on loving the brethren and to consider, I mean, just what does this say about us? Let's just think about it. I've already, we talked about it, that the hatred we see on Facebook, the hatred that we may even at times contribute to Facebook isn't probably most of the time, though it could be, isn't righteous anger. It's coming out of a sinful heart. It has other motives. And we should really consider why do we do or why do we say what we want to say? Is it worth it or should we act in love? Now, truth should always be told. We speak the truth in love. So I'm not getting into that discussion. But we need to, as Christians, consider what does it mean to lovingly communicate with others in all of our spheres, whether personally or on social media, in the church, at work, in Walmart, driving your car, and the guy who cuts you off. All of these things have to be demonstrations of what is love. Because when we, if we look back and see, you know what? Maybe I have a characteristic of this not loving attitude. Well, we need to repent. We need to seek God. Seek the Savior who's paid for our sins. But John continues here in verses 16 and 18 
kind of more about this love. We saw the love that Cain did not have. We're called to love. And so he explains it to us. He goes, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But if anyone has word, the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So how do we know we love? Well, we see here one example in verse 16, and the idea is that Jesus laid down his life for us. Think of Romans 5.8, God showed his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We know that Jesus willingly laid down his life. Philippians 2 in the great Christological passage gives us and shows us that he humbled himself not grasping the glory of God as something to be used for his own advantage, he came down, he humbled himself to his servant, and not only just died, but he died on the cross, the most lowly death you could have in the Roman Empire, to save us from our sins. This is a God whom we serve. So when we look at this passage, we need to think about how the triune God acts in and of itself, but also as it acts towards us. The triune God, to display his mercy and grace, saves us from our sins. He died to save us for our sins. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, bore the wrath of the Father to save us from our sins. He laid down our lives, his life, and now we are called to lay down our lives. And we're called to help. And we see this even more in verse 17 about how this looks. If we have worldly goods, if we have possessions and we see a brother in need, we're to help him. And this is characteristic of the early church. We think of the story of Ananias and Sapphira and how they sold the priests of property. They lied about how much they sold it for and they get struck down. But just before this and kind of leading up to this story, we see someone else this guy named Bartimus. He sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it down. And he did this because as they increased, 
they were growing and they needed, people needed money. And in verse 34 in Acts chapter 4, um, Luke writes, There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of land and houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet and it distributed to each as they had need. The church provide. Paul will tell Corinthians to gather an offering so that he could take it back to the church of Jerusalem because they were in great need. So John here is given us, well, what is love? It's not that baby don't hurt me. What is love? Well, love is laying down your lives rather, giving up your worldly goods to help others in the church, to be one who will do it. And that's just not, well, yeah, we should do that. That's a good thing. That's what John is warning about in verse 18. Well, yeah, we should be doing these things. But what John is saying is that we shouldn't just say we need to do those things. We need to be ones who actually do it. Indeed and in truth. James talks about this too. In relation to justification that we are saved. That's how he uses justification, not a justification by works. He goes, so in James chapter 2, verse 14, What good is it, my brothers, if anyone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that, be, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you would say to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them things they need for their body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But if someone would say, you have faith and I have works, show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well, even the demons believe and they shudder. What I have shown you, foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on their altar you see that faith was active among his works and faith and faith was completed by his work and the scripture was fulfilled that said Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and as he was called a friend of God. Yes, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. So let's unpack this. I think this is what John is saying. Let's unpack what what James is trying to say and what John is here saying. What James is not saying is that we can be saved by our works. John is James and John are not saying that whatsoever. He is using justify as the same way as give evidence. How do you know I have faith? Well, you know, I have faith because I have works with them. Faith produce 
faith produces works. Lack of faith also produces works. You see that, that those who don't believe produce the works of the devil. So those who do believe should be producing works of God. We should, in the example of James, if we see others, we should be willing to help and to clothe them. So John here also is saying, look, we just can't say, let's give, let's help people out. We need to do it and we do it in truth. We do it in a way that brings about the truth of God. It brings about the gospel. Jesus tells his disciples that the world will know that they are his disciples by the way they love one another. And that our love is the expression in which we ourselves experience the love of God through the gospel. That's what James is getting at. Abraham serves as the example that we know he has faith because he listens to God and he, sa- tr- he goes up to the mountain to sacrifice his son. Now, we know the story that God comes in, gives him the, the ram, and the ram is sacrificed instead. But we know that Abraham believed God because God told him, and he did it. There was the expression of when Moses told us earlier that Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. This is what John is saying. We need to to see that we have God's love. We should be loving in a way, and that is helping those around us, especially those who call themselves Christians. Now, this isn't to put you in your danger. We can go and how all this works out, maybe on a different episode. But we should be ones that when the opportunity arises, will be willing. And John doesn't leave us kind of with just this idea. In verse 19 to the end of the chapter, he will explain this even more. Sorry, I missed a one here in 19. Those of you watching YouTube and Facebook. But he says, here John, by this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Beloved, if our hearts if our hearts does not condemn us, we have confidence before God and whatever we ask we receive from him because he keeps because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment that we believe in the son in the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another just as he commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abide in God and God in him. And by this we know that we abide in the Spirit, or abide in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. So John, kind of to wrap up this chapter, although he didn't have chapter breaks there, to kind of wrap up this section, really goes and 
moves into a way that helps us to think about, well, what if my heart condemns me? So, so what does he mean here? Well, he starts off by saying, by this we shall know that we have truth and assured our hearts before him. For whatever our hearts condemn us. So the idea to that we are in the truth and to reassure our hearts before him is to kind of convince our hearts that we're in God. Well, why do we need to convince our hearts that we're in God? Why do we need to know that we are of the truth? Well, it's because giving is hard. And that's what he kind of means for whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our hearts. The idea that the heart will condemn us, kind of, it's not exactly clear um, in language in the in the Greek. So this is kind of just thinking through what it is. But it's the idea that, what if I don't want to give? What if I don't want to help? And it's stemming from the heart. It condemns me because I know I should, but I don't want to. John tells us, look at God. Look at God. Because God is greater than our hearts. He showed us love when he shouldn't have. When we think about how this then looks, not only when we are, we're talking online, when we're interacting with people and showing this love, there are times you just don't want to. And we need to realize that there was never a time in which God did not want to show love to his people. God always wants to show love to his people. And we'll see later in John, it's because he is love. That is who he is. But from the eternity past, God wanted to show love to his people. And so when our when John is telling us, look, we need to, we shall know that we're of the truth and reassure our hearts in this because we need to remember who God is. When our heart condemns us because we don't want to do it, we don't want to show love because this person's been really nasty to me on Facebook or this person has been really nasty in my church. What John is telling us is like, look, God, if he's truly saved, that may be another question, but if he is saved or proclaims to be saved, God has shown his love on him. We need to look at God when our hearts condemn us because we don't want to do what we need. We know we should be doing. We need to look to God. For God is greater than our hearts, and 
He knows everything. Not only does he show kindness, he's he's greater than us in that way. He knows everything. He knows what you are thinking in your heart. Well, think about Ananias and Sapphira. The disciples would not have known how much they sold their land for apart from the Spirit revealing it to them. Just think about that. The disciples didn't know. God revealed to the disciples what was happening. God knows. God knows what you're thinking. We're sinful human beings. That's why we need to continually confess our sins. Because God is faithful and just to forgive us. We need to consider that. But God knows all things. Beloved, if our heart doesn't condemn us and we have confidence before God. So here we see the opposite. When our hearts gladly rejoice in, in giving and showing and, um, and generosity and hospitality and being able giving of ourselves to the enrichment of others, not holding ourselves as better, but laying down our lives, as John has already told us, we have confidence before God. And we have confidence not because we're not sinless, but we have confidence because we can come to God, at least in this area, as blameless. Acting as he is. Being called as he is. And why can we have this confidence? Before him and come and ask him. And that when we ask him and, and we'll get it. It's because we keep his commandments. And does what pleasing. I mean. You do this as I do this as a parent. My wife does it as a parent. Maybe it's not good. But we reward our children when they do good things. Just uh, yesterday, my daughter, out of the blue, we don't know why, she cleaned up the house by herself. And she was rewarded for it. It pleased us, and she was rewarded. And we should think about what sin does. Sin destroys. Sin robs us of our communion with God. And it's not that, our, again, obedience saves us. It's that as Christians, we are called to obey God. We are to follow his law. We are to act what is worthy of our calling. We have died to sin and we should be walking in new life so that when we do show love to our brothers, when we do have generosity to fellow Christians, we can come confidence knowing that God is pleased with that. What God delights in when his children act like him. And he calls us to continue in obedience. And so what is this commandment? 
and that's kind of the question 23 answers. And this is his commandments that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. The commandment is easy. We are to have faith in the son and love one another. Again, this is, I mean, just re-summarizing the greatest two commandments. To love God is to have faith in his son. To believe in your heart that Jesus saved us from our sins. This is where we see it. Only truly regenerated Christians show love. People can fake it. But sin is crouching. Sin will be exposed. And believe it. Whoever keeps his commandments abide in him and he in them. And we know that he who abides in us by the spirit whom he has given to us. So again, John comes back to this idea of abiding to remember our relationship, our closeness, our fellowship with it. That those who have faith and love one another, who keep the commandments Christ has given to us, he abides in us. Again, John 14, John 15, John 16, this idea of if you abide in me, I will abide in you. The language of abiding and remaining. John calls us and brings us back to really what is the source and power of what makes loving others possible. Loving others is only possible because God has shown his great love towards us and that we are to remain in the Savior. See, the false teachers from chapter 2, they didn't remain. They have forsaken the truth and they have left and they have not loved the brethren either. The false teachers never love the brethren. They seek to destroy. They're deceivers. The the false believers just don't. And that's why time will tell and they will leave. Well, not part of us. And the true believer will remain because the Spirit resides in them. The Spirit doesn't reside in the Holy of Holies anymore. He resides in His people all over the world. The the Nicene Creed talks about this in forms of Catholic, that the Spirit resides in all Christians at all times, universally. And to, to think about 
how do we then remain in Christ? Well, it's continual belief in the Son and in what John is telling us and loving others. I'm reading this book right now um, by my pastor for our Sunday school class called The Gospel is for Christians. And here we see that John is telling us the gospel is for Christians. We should never forsake the gospel. We should never. We never move past the gospel. We learn more about it. We learn deeper things. We see how God's character interacts with it as we learn about his simplicity or his um, omnipresence or whatever it may be. As we learn about Christ being this, the God-man and the hypostatic union and the Spirit and His work and His revealing and interpreting work, when we understand who we are as Christ, as humans and our fallen nature in in our fallen nature, and that Adam represents us, which condemns us, but now we have a new head in the Son. All of this doesn't move past the gospel. The gospel is what brings it all together. We cannot know God fully apart from understanding the gospel in which all of God and his attributes are displayed. Where every promise is a yes and amen in Christ. Every promise Promises yet to be fulfilled are yes and an amen in Christ. And so when we think about a passage like this, we should really be thinking about how God has shown his great love for us. And that we can learn in this passage that God just did not leave us in our sin and misery. And the estate of misery, as early Baptists would say. But he came down to save us. He showed us what love is. And John is now reminding his readers what this love is. And this love is centered on the belief of the Son. And we should see that our natural bend isn't to love, but God is better. God knows all. And now we can go joyfully, cheerfully, lovingly go and help others. Help those in our church in need. Not just spiritually if they need that, but also physically. I mean, that's why you see at least in my church, when if someone has a family has a baby, we set up meals. We help them with that transition so that they can move back slowly into it. We help them up. We give up ourselves for them. This is what we should be doing. So we should be loving in, in word and in deed and in truth. Truth is, in, is all connected. False teachers don't love the truth. 
the t- preachers you hear on TBN, they don't love the truth. They don't. They hate the truth. They may be doing quote unquote good things. They're not really. They hate the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're in it for the money. They're charlatans. Let's be real. But we need to take a passage like this and reflect it in our own hearts. Am I one that can be characterized by love? Ask the Spirit to reveal where you can grow in loving your fellow believers better. Both on social media and Twitter, in the church, in the workplace, even those who may have different theological beliefs. We need to love them, and we love them in truth. We show them truth. We bring them to the gospel. And John gives us great words, words of encouragement. God is better. Let's think about that and how God would handle a situation as he's revealed himself in the word. How would, I mean, in one sense, what would Jesus do? That's a very real thing we should think about. As the perfect man, how would he interact when this situation in regards to what is right and what is holy? So I want to thank you all who were listening to this. I hope this has been a blessing and encouragement and to look for something greater and better. As always, we go live Tuesdays at 9 p.m. Eastern, um, now on Facebook and on YouTube. We've, we're on YouTube for the longest time. If you want to just catch this, you're like, you know what? YouTube drains down my cell phone battery. We haven't. I need to update it. Um, we do have Podbean, and you can go to... Podbean, search G220 Radio. Um, there's two there. Don't click on the network. Just click on G220 Radio. If you know how to use that, you can add that to your own podcast catcher. We have submitted to Google and Podbean and Stitcher. Um, you can also probably do a search for G220 Radio. Find it there. And then just come back next week when we will start here. First John chapter 4, unless something happens. We'll see how it is. Maybe we'll have a special episode in between there with the Derby or special recorded. Who knows? Keep it up. Um, Pray for Ricky and the rest of the team that's coming from Ohio to preach at the Derby. As far as I know, it's still go there. The governor just so happens to lift restrictions on outdoor events. I'm just saying the largest tourist event in Kentucky. Just maybe coincidence, but pray for those um, brothers as they come down and for their ministry at the Derby. 
them. It's always a fascinating time down there, at least the times I've been there. So for Ricky, who's preparing for the Derby, my name is Mike. Thank you for listening to G220 Radio. This is episode 478. You have a good night and God bless.